Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Everybody Relax Podcast, facilitated by your boy, licensed clinical social worker and neighborhood therapist, Trey. We are back for another episode of More Than My Credential series, and I have one of my special guests, one of my good friends, and kind of OGs and the, OG and the mentors I look up to in this field of mental health. Man, I have Aaron Mueller, licensed clinical social worker out of Queens, New York. Sir, how are you? What's going on with you? What's up, man? Good to see you. How's everything? Everything is well, man. Everything is well. I finally get you to come on, come on the podcast and we chop it up. I was on your podcast one time before, and that was good too. So now I get a chance to interview you. <laughs> I know, isn't that isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love it, man. I love it. Um, tell the people who you are, you know, what you do and what you're about if they don't know who you are. Okay, yeah. So like uh uh you stated, my name is Aaron. I'm a licensed clinical social worker from Queens, New York. I uh, own a private practice with my wife called Life Matters. Uh, we've been in the, we started in 2016. I'm also a school social worker here in New York City, um, where I work with uh, 3K to 8th grade. And then at the practice, uh, I work with um, individuals, couples, and children. Okay. Absolutely. So if you don't know uh, who Aaron is, Aaron has been out here in the game for a minute. Uh, I like I said, I like to call him one of the OGs, the top three OGs in the field of mental health, especially for the um, black men in this space. Um, but you've been featured in so many different places, HBO, Hot 97, Black Ink Crew, uh, Cosmopolitan, like uh, VH1, everywhere. Like you've been all over this place. How's that journey been from school social worker to private practice therapist to like being on these other you know, spaces as well. Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting, man, because I never envisioned myself um, being on those things. However, I did speak, hold on, I have a new dog, a newborn dog that is very rowdy. So you was, you were talking about, like, you've, like I said, you've been on VH1, Black Ink Crew, HBO, Cosmopolitan. Did you, you know, how was that, how the experience been, being going from school social workers to private practice therapists to now on all these high end spaces? Well, I was I'm do, I'm doing all of it at the same time, so it's interesting, you know, being on different platforms, things like that. Some of my parents and my students say, you know, I've seen you on here, I've seen you on there. So it's it's an amazing journey. I knew that I wanted to make an impact in the therapy space, especially for Black people. Um, I kind of sat in the class and looked, you know, in grad school, looked out the window many times to say, you know what, I really want to make an impact on the world. And I said, I didn't know how, but I knew I wanted to be in media. I know I wanted to be on TV, radio, um, the internet. So I kind of went kind of like, I think I kind of went after it and just manifested somehow, but it started out with kind of like a dream. It started out kind of like while I was in the classroom at Adelphi, how I really envisioned it. And it, and it kind of mapped out that way. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me how you got into the field of social work. Um, you was getting to it just a little bit right now. Like, did you ever always see yourself as a social worker or getting into this field of mental health? Well, not at all. Um, I, I, I got my bachelor's in economics um, from Queens College and I wasn't doing very well at all. Mm -hmm. uh, I was doing economics, pursuing economics, and then I found sociology and I found that I was doing really well at it. So I said, let me get, let me switch to this major because I just at this point, I just wanted to get out of the school. Mm -hmm. So I switched. I was doing really well. Now, here I am, a graduate with a sociology degree. I had a cousin ask me, what do you do with that? And I was like, I don't know. I just needed a degree at this point. Right. Um, stumbled upon 
my neighbor's uh, friend that knew me since I was little. And I was at the mall one day and I was like, my, my mom and I was like, oh, how are you doing? I was like, well, you know, I'm good. I just graduated with my bachelor's. She's like, um, in sociology, I, she said, send me a resume. You know, I didn't know at that point that she had a pretty high position at a um, kind of like a methadone clinic. So it was okay. a methadone clinic in substance abuse. So she had right. a pretty high position. Um, and it did a lot of work with uh, the kind of veterans and the disabled community. Um, so I got a, a phone call not too long after that. You know, would you like to come in for an interview for a substance abuse counselor position? I was like, mm -hmm. all right. <laughs> Went yeah. into an interview, um, met with this LCSW uh, Black woman. And sat on the interview, and as you know, I said, we had I really had no experience with counseling whatsoever. But uh, did the interview well, got the got the title, and now here I am with a caseload, 60, 70 clients uh, with uh, heroin addiction and crack cocaine addiction. I'm 24 years old. You know, yeah. now it's my first job, suit and tie. Really, no experience with addiction uh, in my immediate family. Uh -huh. So I really had to educate myself on the drugs and the effect of it uh, and really start to hone in on my clinical skills and build a rapport. And, have, and now here I am, this pretty shy dude, and I had to develop opening up myself so that people could feel comfortable. So yeah. it was a tall order. Um, yeah. So a few years in, you know, and, and my my director at the time, which I'm still uh, in communication with, she, you know, I'm like, I'm really liking this. I'm taking, you know, I'm starting to do the trainings. I'm like, I'm really liking this job. And I was like, how do you make more money around here? And she was like, oh, you got to go back to school and get your, your master's. After the experience I had, I was like, nah, that's, that's, a, that's a dub. That's not happening. <laughs> I said, that's not happening. But she kept on like, I'm like, nah, I really, I really love in this field. She was like, you know, I think you'd be great at it enhance your clinical skills. And in 2009, I decided to, all right, I'm gonna go back and pursue my, my MSW. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that was it. I mean, graduate 2012. And full steam ahead, right into it. Full, full steam ahead. So I appreciate that experience. That was my introduction, um, mm -hmm. working in addiction. That was my introduction into the field. That's tough coming out of uh, it's coming out of sociology and undergrad going straight into addiction um, with, with with no clinical knowledge expertise, just you and yourself and, and, and maneuvering through that space. So I imagine that was that kind of gave you the, the foundation for doing the work that you do now. Um, and what's interesting, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is you said that, you know, at first you like you were shy and you had to really come out of that shell in order to make your clients feel comfortable. And um, I, I went through that same transition because growing up, I was more reserved, shy, laid back type of guy. And then, you know, you get into this field, that kind of goes out the window. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it, has, it has to, you know what I'm saying? You can't, in, in, in many regards, in, in many ways, I am still like, I'm not the life of the party. You're not going to see me spinning on my head top at a party. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've play the wallflowers, things like that. But when it comes to conversation on mental health and when it comes to 
once I get in the session, I turn into a different person. And, yeah. um, and then that's how, for me, solidifies that this is um, something God called me to do. Because if you can, if I look at preachers, you know, some people, you know, they say that it's like some, it's like a God given gift, you know, mm -hmm. because of like when once they get up on the pulpit, they turn to a different person. So right. I feel like, I yeah, feel like yeah. that, that's my experience. Like I turn into the shyness goes out the window, um, reservedness goes out the window, and I just speak. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Now we know when you said you know you was um, when you were in in class and thinking about like you know you know you wanted to be around media you know you wanted to to expand this this conversation around mental health especially mental health in the black community this, did the private practice come with that thought pattern as well or did you just see it kind of as like kind of a one silo thing well no private practice was a part of it so my my dream was i wanted to either be a hospital social worker mm. school social worker and have a private practice so gotcha. okay. I looked and look what transpired. Yeah, yeah. Private practice gotcha. and a school social. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. okay. So that was part of the, the overall plan, regardless. Like we was gonna get here and, and, and do that. And that's um interesting because I was having a conversation on Twitter earlier, uh like yes, uh, I, I retweeted you. Remember uh somebody was talking about we needed more, you know, black male social workers, counselors, yeah. and therapists. Yeah. And um I've always struggled with the reality of trying to recruit more of us because mm -hmm. knowing what that journey looks like and how much energy it entails. And so, you know, my thought pattern after, after the past couple of years is like, you know, making this thing creative to the point where we can, it doesn't look like traditional, you know, uh, therapy or what it may look like as far as the movies or media. But for you, in reference to how do we get more black male clinicians in the, in the field, what do you think would be the, the best way to go about doing it? Well, we definitely want to could try to market them while they're in, in school and, and, and different, and even in the mentorship programs, just trying to, because you, this is not the one area that, you know, males aspire to go to, you know, whether right. it's, it's usually in business, uh, medicine, you know, or, you know, at, you know, sports or something like that. So it's how do we market it and let them know that there is so many different avenues that you can do. Um, you know, even men going to government realize that you can be a social worker and you can advocate, right? It's necessary on the clinical end, but we need advocacy, right? We need grassroots organizations. Um, mm -hmm. And just know there's so many different facets, you know, and I'm pro social worker, but this, you know, it'd be, you know, clinical counseling or anything like that, just in some way, how can you make an impact? You know, whether it be through starting organization, um, whether it be through, um, like I said, advocacy, you know, in grad school, I learned that there are a lot of politicians that are social workers. You know, yeah. I took I took a policy social work and policy course where we, we had to go to our state capital in New York, Albany. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a pretty relatively short course. But part of it was taking a trip up there. So I flew up there sat in on you know decision making and, and meetings and met with legislators and i learned a lot about that there are social workers that work for banks that kind of connect the community to the bank and they're the liaison i had no idea about that i know um, yeah 
so there's so many different ways that there's people like you know like i said we go you know, men we go into financing but you can go on the finance end of bridging the gap especially if you are in a inner city community or if you are um of, a, of another language and you, you know immersed in in a, a area where there's a heavily populated and you can be the bridge between the community and that bank and having the, the people have a voice and allow them to uh um, pay forward in that bank and, and letting the bank know that, you know, letting the people know that the bank is there for them and support mm-hmm. them and being that, that liaison and stuff like that. So that course was an eye opener for me because my dad always said that, oh, you should go into politics. That was never really my thing. But I realized a lot of how important law is, especially on Twitter and how we have conversations just about legislation around mental health. And there's so much, there's so, still so much changes that needs to happen. And we don't have enough, uh, uh, social workers uh, making those decisions. And we learned that part of our role, you know, in being a social worker is advocating for a client, not just, you know, on a, on a, on a micro level, but not just, but on a macro level too, advocating like, whoa, we see that these policies are not uh, helping our people. We need to do, we need to make change. Right. Absolutely. You know, and that's my, been my biggest thing about that. Like I've, I've kind of fell into this micro clinical role because, you know, for me, and I've talked about it all the time, it's like I never wanted the licensure. I always wanted to do the policy side of it. But then I started to understand that there was um, there's there's different spaces for that. Right. In, in certain areas and localities. And so, you know, in Virginia, if you want to get into that macro space and make some, you know, and make pretty decent money, you got to go into the state either state Mm -hmm. or federal. And it takes a long time to get into federal. It took me a long time to even get an interview look at at the state level. And so with that, you know, I was also too trying to tell, trying to influence guys as well as that talking about that grassroots type stuff is doing so much stuff in the mezzo level, at the community level, at the local level, having those conversations, having those, you know, talks with like local politicians or, organizing certain community events you, that's still social work realistically Correct. um you know so that could be something that if you you don't see with something that you can't you know do um you can actually create it i think that's one of the great things about social work that's one of the reasons why i got into the field was because i knew i could go into social work and i could foster and create something if it wasn't there and and, and still lend it back to uh social work in some type of way and so, um, but you know, I, I took I took the same social work and policy class. We had to go up to DC, meet with a legislator, you know, and, and talk with them about stuff like that. And that was probably one of the best experiences I've ever had. Um, and and one of my that class and social work and law that was that was um, two amazing eye open classes that gave you a other the other piece of social work. Right. Um, and then now I'm hearing too, like you know just looking at how our skills can translate over into corporate businesses. You know, Amazon hires a lot of social workers and likes clinical social workers. Um, you know, just thinking about out of the box, cause you know, we have so many soft skills um, and skills that come related with social work and clinical work that translate to so many other areas, even down to just podcasting. Like, you know, that the ability to access and talk, translate right over to podcasting and how we can interview or have dialogue and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think that's the start. And I think that's going to be kind of the the place we go if we want to get more guys involved in here, for sure. Um, for sure. Um, 
so let's go back to how we kind of linked up. I've, I've had all these relationships with some folks that I haven't met face to face yet, but I have connected with them on social media, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. And so um, I remember us connecting way, I want to say, got to be at least 16, 17. Got to be. Really? And was it? Was it 16, 17? Was it earlier? Dang, I don't even remember. <laughs> but it was interesting because I connected finally with Rashawn and I found Rashawn's account. Um, and then I think you connected with my homeboy KP. And then we all came together for a group chat. And that's how we kind of connected and stayed, stayed in connection with one another. Um, but I was excited because when I saw you and Rashawn um, and saw the work that you already guys had been doing, it was relieving because I felt down here in Virginia, I was like, I don't know where to start. Right. Uh, I want to get out here and educate, do advocacy in the black community, but I don't know, I don't got no templates. Like folks are doing it. So um, I, I was um, impressed by your work already that you had done um, in those spaces. And what was that interaction for you? Um, just connecting with, you know, other folks as far as like black male clinicians out here and stuff like that. Well, that was, as well. So. Right, but that was that was amazing because before um, connecting with everybody, I felt really isolated. I, while I was doing uh, the grad school work, I was in desperate need of a mentor, looking for a, a black male social worker uh, to kind of lead me and, and to support and just ask questions. I felt really isolated up here, um, you know, not really finding other black male therapists in New York City. Um, it's a pretty big city, and I always looked at other states where I found like there's a lot more networking. Yeah. Um, so I never really had that, found that. Um, so that was really what inspired me to start to start Black Male Therapies. Right, right. Facebook group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, the Facebook group. So I said, yo, I, this is a pretty isolating position that I'm in. So I said, let me start a, a group of Black Male Therapists and so let me see, start networking, things like that. So I, you know, I took, you know, went on Facebook, created a group then just started adding people mm. some of the people that i knew mm. and then they started adding people started adding people and then it just grew you know but that was kind of like that that was kind of what the, the kind of what initiated it was that feeling of isolation um not really having people in the field and even in my classroom i was the only i had another black male um that was in one of my classes but it was like one or two but we never really like connected like that yeah Far and few in between in my school, in my class, like, you know what I'm saying? It was maybe, I'll say 10 that I know. Three of them I probably knew personally, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I felt isolated and down here in Virginia. You know, the field is dominated typically by white women. And then so, like, most of, the, most of everybody down here, you know, most of the field. But, yeah, I felt isolated. And plus, also, you know, the type of stuff that you guys were doing. You know, whereas the mental health advocacy, the speaking and speaking engagements and going around doing the education component, I hadn't seen that. You know, I was I knew there was a gap, you know, and understanding down here. But I was like, I don't even know how to start or where to begin with this stuff. And then, like I said, you link with you on that. And then um, we just chopped it up. And then um, the black male therapist group and stuff like that and just started meeting, connecting with other people across the country. But then also like kind of getting going back to that last point of dang it's not a lot of brothers in this field like right you know? 
right. you know, I, I know we out here, but wow, like to say, because how many how many members are we up there now? I would say it's it's uh not is pushing eight hundred. Yeah. Okay. Pushing eight hundred. Pushing eight hundred. Yeah, and that's across the states. Right, and that's across the states. When if but if you look at um, there's still a still a number of brothers that don't really um that haven't you know joined yet. And I look at other you know Facebook groups that have clinicians of both genders in it that have larger numbers, but yeah. the majority of those are women. You're right. And the majority of those that engage in the dialogue, are women. That's another thing. That's another <laughs> interesting thing is that um, we we show out we show up and show out and and, and don't engage as much. <laughs> don't engage. Don't engage as much at all. Yeah, and so it's, it's funny because um, you know doing that work and then working with like black male clients, you see that show up as well. Um, and just they don't they they engage, but it takes a while. And then um, and it's all the other spaces in these groups. Like the thing that we want to work on and make folks more vulnerable is still kind of hesitant at times as well to share everything we got going on. So it's it's interesting how that shows up. But um, I thank yeah. you for creating that group, man, um, and connecting with so many brothers, man. Shout out to everybody in Black Male Therapist Group um, that is out there. Also, shout out to Black Men and Social Work as well. Audrey, right. Who started that group as well. So it's been it's been very good on that side. So let me ask you this. Um, if you wasn't in private practice doing school social work and everything like that, what would you be doing if it wasn't for that? If I was still a social worker? If you wasn't a social worker. But, oh, I would, and I was telling my son this today, that what I told him, I told him yesterday that I would, I went to own a car dealership and I wanted oh. to be a barber and I went to be a barber. Barber in a car dealership? Yeah. I like that. I like that. I like that. We definitely we talk about cars all the time, especially because um, uh, you both share that passion, love for cars. But right. um, I find that interesting that you say barbering because that's like one of the spaces where us as black men that you know, we do be vulnerable at is the black barbering. Absolutely, barber absolutely, you know? it is. Yeah, but I'm I'm very big into grooming. I'm very uh, I love the art and the mastery of barbering and how it, it creates a transformation. I like how therapeutic it is. I like the the machine and things like that. So I have a passion. Um, I always regret not going to barber school. I just never could find the time with mm. uh, being in grad school and how much time it took and stuff like that. Because I asked my barber, you know, the criteria and it's, you know, it was, it was in depth. It's not an easy process, right? Something you just, um, just, just run into, right? So I feel like, you know, I wanted to honor that and not just, you know, but and yeah. and but it's interesting how you know I'm thinking like how our feel is while the buzz is there and it's hot, how there's a lot of pe people just running to thinking that they can speak to it, um, from a professional standpoint, and and that's just my well, you know, that's one of my concerns in terms of like, not discrediting all the work that it takes and the loans that we have left and the trauma that comes from grad school of what we had to endure. And it's not just enough to say that, you know, uh, from this experience, I'm an expert, you know, um, uh, to it. You know what I'm saying? I, like, I can never compare myself to a, a, a doctor, no matter how much experience I have with something um, right. because of the the work and the intensity of the of med school and the program and the trauma that comes from that. Yeah. 
don't yeah. know about your experience in grad school, but it definitely left a lot of trauma with me just in terms of like, whoa, this is a lot. You guys, yeah. re- you guys require a lot. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that sentiment. And um, it brings up another point because, you know, and that's going back to that other point of like getting folks and brothers in here, you know, grad school is tough. And I remember the first semester for me, um, I was close to like giving up because at one class that she just kept putting red marks on all my paper and I was getting anxiety behind that. And I was like, man, I'm about to just say, forget it, man, do something else. Um, but, you know, for me, I commuted. I commuted about an hour and a half both ways to go to grad school. At one point in time, I was working uh 40 hours a week and then shooting up the road and coming back down the road. I had a very rigorous and brutal schedule. Um, And it took a couple, maybe a year and a half to come down off that brutal schedule, but going straight into crisis work. So, you know, in the the meantime, like, you know what I'm saying? There was times where I, you know, stressed out to the max where I'm super exhausted to the point where like, you know what I'm saying? I don't know how exhausted I am. I just fall out and wake up the next day. Right. You know, um, and so when you start talking about like the mental, I talk about like the mental health um, influencer um, that's out there that has taken, you know, the little bit of knowledge that they gained and, and built a whole brand and business model behind it where they're they're sitting there pretty much toying with people's pains. And then it's kind of discrediting us as social workers or therapists or counselors or whatever it may be. Just like, oh, well, why can't you answer this question for me? like this instead of like what an influencer would do and give you some type of quick steps. And it's like, well, we not one give you unsolicited, unsolicited advice. And two, this is not therapy. Um, and three, we right. need context. <laughs> I, I, I need background right before I drop gems. Right. You know, I, I'm like, I need more. I need a little yeah. bit more. Like, and I'm asking a, a lot of questions, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's not a one stop answer. So, you know, I appreciate us having this platform because uh, want you to understand that, you know, what comes with it and how we take our profession very seriously. And, you know, that we are here to help out. And I don't take that very lightly. I don't take what I've been called to do very lightly, hold, you know, holding people's stuff, mm-hmm. being a space for them to process, right? Not, mm-hmm. not telling them what to do, but just being a sounding board and how heavy that energy is, right? And then... Mm-hmm. I have to also ensure that I take care of myself um, and ensure that that energy is, is, it doesn't lay dormant in me and it, and it, it, it goes out. Right. And so yeah. have, have being safe enough to provide it, but then also knowing what to do with it um, yeah. afterwards. Right. And, and not just giving anecdotals and what, like what I would have did and just come and the art of listening. And mm-hmm. I feel like, um, I think some people think that a lot of therapists is telling people what to do. People need to be heard. Yeah. People need yeah. to be listened to, uh, validated. And sometimes with my longtime clients confronted, like, nah, you bugging. Right. <laughs> right. Um, after I've, a, after we built a rapport and lined with you, like, come on, we've been talking about this for a minute now. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And being able to have that conversation, hold people accountable, but yeah. building off of trust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And support. I'm building off a trust, support, um, and that therapeutic alliance. So it's an art, right? Not just telling people what to do or or saying gems, 
but it's a whole process that we let you learn as a clinician in terms of the therapeutic process and 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 being able to listen and being able to provide feedback being able to refrain being able to mirror You know, what's interesting about that is the Therapeutic Alliance in reference, like you see a lot of conversations on, you know, social media about my therapist told me this and my therapist said that and I said this and it's like, all right, y'all, some of y'all wilding, some of y'all doing too much. Or then some form, some people, some other therapists at times, you know, push down on it as if it's like, you know, that's the wrong thing to be doing in, in session. And I find... Since I've been in it, because I'm coming up on a year in private practice um, in December, that the piece of holding that space and listening can serve as so much, you know, power, especially for the population that I serve, black men, that the fact, I think sometimes I have clients coming in and they just want to talk it out and it can be all over the place. It can be circular and it's all over the place. And I gather that, I take that, and I can just regurgitate it back to them and what they said in a linear fashion, and then it's like that, they get, they catch it. I didn't necessarily do any modality. I didn't necessarily do any type of EMDR techniques or mindfulness. I just listened and held space and just said it back to them. What they told me, what they said. But that's, but that's a skill. Not everybody has space for that because they want to interject. Well, let me tell you something. This is not the time for let me tell you something. The, yeah. the person needs to, be, and that's the difference where people is like, oh, my, my barber's my therapist or my cousin. And it's like, I get it. But oftentimes when you're talking, people, especially when there's a loved one, they don't want to see you hurt. So now they're coming with, well, I think you should, or um, have you tried, or, you know, like they want a uh, silver lining. I took yeah. this, I took this training, right? You know, you know, I really hate the job that I'm in. You know, I have this 2019 Benz and I really want the 2020. You'd be like, well, at least you got a car. Well, and at least you got a job. Like not allowing the person to feel, not everybody needs that silver lining, you yeah. know, right? So the silver lining is like, at least, at least. At least, at um, least, yeah. Right? And when we do this, that because we don't want our, the person to feel down or hurt and sometimes we have to hold we have to hold space for those feelings right and allow them to process of course we, we won't let them to like get close to the edge of course but in terms of emotionally but of course allowing them to feel like feel those, those emotions let's explore why are you in that space about that job around that car right but when we minimize it and we're minimizing their feelings by saying well at least you got a job yeah well, it, it, right it may sound petty but we have to find out where it's coming from Right, right, you know? right. That and you know what? That I think that's one of the things where we we've really gotten in the habit of saying and doing, and thinking that it's like good sound advice. When realistically, you might be doing more harm than good. You know what I'm saying? Because that person might be going through something that they need to process out, that they need to validate out, right. um, and get out. And so it might be something deeper than okay. Then you know I don't feel competent here. Um, I don't feel like I'm getting paid my worth here. You know what I'm saying? The truck is breaking down too much. You know what I'm saying? It, it's doing this, that, and the third. It's costing me too much. I want to get out of it. Sometimes I find it's like we don't know how to express 
what we got going on, but we'll say it in a different manner. I look at like it into my, my daughter. She's she's sometimes she'd be like, she'll sit there and be upset. And she'd be like, you know, I'm upset. She's crying. She's, you know, upset about something like that. And she was like, uh, I ain't got no water in my cup. And I'm like, You sure? There's water in there. Oh, I wanted some more. And she's just weeping. My dad said, No, what's the what's the real problem? I really wanted to go outside. You know what I'm saying? And it just, she didn't know how to process and let it all, let that out initially, but she found something to put it on and say, you know what I'm saying? Nah, this is the issue. And I think we do that a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, we do that so much and we never get to the root cause of the issue. And then we sit there and there's that resentment that continues to happen or I ain't gonna never tell my such and such family member or somebody what I'm going through because all they're going to tell me is, well, at least you got this and at least you got the job. That's not cool. That's not cool. You know, um, so yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I like, I like that that way where you transition into that because um, I didn't know where how he was gonna maneuver with that, but I enjoy that because that's gonna help some people, man. Hopefully about that. So, um, real quick, now let's move a little bit transition transition to some fun stuff because we talk about cars all the time and uh, we always share cars with each other. So, uh, quick hitter questions. What is your top five favorite cars? All right. So top Range Rover. Mm. Uh, I, I love the full, uh, the big body range. Two, I love my Escalade. Um, three, I say the, 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 the Rolls Royce truck. Four. What's my fourth? The S-Class. Okay. And five. What's my top five? What? Yeah, that S class is, is bad. Yeah. And six. I was going since we get the X six. I'll just say the X six. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm with it. I'm with it. I'm with it. Um, because this is this has this car car thing for you been like all like all your life? Cause like like with me. all all my life. Uh, <laughs> I grew uh, I grew up. Um, my grandfather had a few cars mm-hmm. and my mom said I would cry to, to go with him. So he had a Fiat okay. um, in the day. Um, and I remember that the hood opened the other way. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm dating myself. This is a long time ago. And, and then he owned his own taxi. So he had a taxi in New York City, a yellow cab. A few of them. He owned a taxi medallion. Um mm-hmm. So like that was like my first introduction to cars. I walked with a car in my hand and I then I would collect model cars. And uh, every Friday, my dad will take me to get a different model car. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would I would go to KB toy store. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I would date myself again. They don't and, know about KB toy store. Yeah. Man. <laughs> <laughs> and, I would, and I would get a different model car. And this is how jeans is so interesting. And I use this analogy when I'm doing work, how jeans is so strong that my son, I, at a very young age, I didn't, I didn't say, here's, some, here's a car and I want you to hold it and take it. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, he got a, a car as a toy and he just clutched it and never let it go. And now more cars and more cars and just more cars come. We went to CVS yesterday. He picked up the, the Mitsubishi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so 
you know, he can, and now people are mesmerized. They'd be like, Hudson, what's that car? That was me. I could wow. tell you the year making model of a car. Yeah. At, yeah. at five, six, seven years old. Oh, wow. Wow. And here he is doing this. And I did not teach him that. Just everybody, everybody, just, there's cars everywhere. Hudson, pick up your cars. And my mom tells my wife, that was Aaron. I had a crate full of cars. Mm-hmm. And I, that, that was my little carry case. And I yeah. would take them and sit on the floor and create a little city with my cars uh, after I finish my homework every day. And he has a crate full of cars. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So yesterday, you know, when when we was when we was messaging each other, um, I'm the resident. You know, uh, when people need cars in the family, I'm the one that they go to. Okay. Um, so my aunt. <laughs> so my aunt is car shopping, and we went to uh, went to the BMW dealership yesterday. So I was like, "Pops," I said, "Where are we at?" And he was like, "The BMW dealer." Like, and she was like, "Like that's you." Oh. <laughs> That's and we, wild. Right. And we went to the we went to Lexus dealership first and then we went to the BMW dealership after. So um I said I had to take him because like that's exciting. And I know for him that and he was floored when we looked at that lime green X4. So um yeah. so you know, so he was a part of the car buying process yesterday. Yeah. That's what's up, man. That's what's cool, man. Um I I got my daughter somewhat like so I have a three series my three series E forty six, oh five and um she has I put a new engine in it but like I used to you know take her to her grandmother's house all the time when she's a baby in it and so when my engine went you know I rebuilt it rebuilt it pretty much put a new engine in it last year and so now she's told my wife that that's me and her car. Oh, <laughs> that's me and her car. So she can't. My mom, no, my wife can't ride in it. And um, she uh, went to her first car show, Cars and Coffee, here over the summertime with me, and was out there with me riding. It was like she was with me and my two homeboys, you know, just kicking and chilling. She was like, "No, nah, I want to come." And we out here looking at all the cars and stuff like that. So, um, you know, and then um, I ended up because I used to I used to collect a lot of Hot Wheels. I had like a Hot Wheel case. So it was like probably 50 of them in a case right you know what i'm saying my dad had like the we, my dad collected model cars and stuff like that and i'm always into customizing cars myself and um so i went to the store i was going to the auto parts store i found the model m3 version of my car and i bought it and i bought it so I was, i'm just keep it in my office or something like that and i ended up giving it to her i was like you want this car and she was like yeah yeah she took it and just ride the rest so i'm like all right I might end up having a car girl here soon, man. Right. You know what I'm saying? But it's it's a beautiful thing. I like it. I, I I just like you said. If it wasn't for this, I'd be I, and I'm, I'm still trying to get it. It'd be a car custom shop. Oh wow! It'd be a car custom shop. Um, and that was my first business actually was doing car customs. Really? Wow. Yeah, we was doing um, I'm a mama garage, but we was doing like. You know, detailing, tinting windows, systems. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of a Plasti Dip up there. It's rubberized, like something like wrapping, but it's like right. Okay. Yeah, we was we was doing that for a little bit, you know, and then I got out of it, you know, and so like that. So, I my life still kind of revolves around cars at some point, even if I put it down for a little bit. That's good, man. That's yeah. good. That's you good. Know, 
Got to come back to it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would love to maybe, I don't know, incorporate the two somehow. But, you know, I recall that hearing you speak at, I wanted to find a way to make it like, I always had this entrepreneurial spirit, like it runs through my family. Um, everybody owns uh, something. Um, so I wanted to wash, I had a car detailing business. So I had another crate with a vacuum in it, all, you know, armor all equipment, you know, you yeah. named it. I had a air freshener at the end and created, my mom went to her job and created um, flyers for me. And, you know, everybody would come and get their car washed. And they, I would sit, they would, you know, I had a big yard and you would sit and I would have refreshments for you while I washed, while I washed and detailed your car. Um, and that was like 11, 12 doing that. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Is that something you would like to do down the road? I, I mean, now, now I want somebody to wash mine now at this stage. I'm tired. <laughs> right. <laughs> at this stage now, because that, that escalate is pretty big. Yeah, um, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but um, I even when I take it to the car wash, I enjoy uh, vacuuming it myself. That piece because I feel like nobody. I w- if I could, I would because nobody w- washes it like how I wash it. Right. Um, uh, while I was in undergrad, matter of fact, through my associate's degree, which I I, I got that first, mm-hmm. I started work. I started working at Enterprise Rent a Car. So I worked at an Enterprise for eleven years. Um, oh, wow. While I while I was doing my bachelor's, no, my associate's, my bachelor's, and my master's. Okay. Um, um, at point at one point it was you know to make money while I was in school, and that at then afterwards I was working at the addiction program, and I would go there in the evenings because they mm-hmm. didn't want they didn't want me to leave. Oh, um, so I I eventually left when I got my master's. I was like, all right, guys, I can't I can't do this no more. <laughs> yeah. You know, so here I am with a master's degree. I was still there washing cars. Um, wow. So that really fueled, uh, really helped me. And I, I enjoyed it too. So, you know, basically I'm driving every car, you know, cleaning them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the discount was beautiful. So, you know, that really fueled my my passion too. You know, just being being there and driving it. You name it, I drove it um, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So. That's a, a little a little tidbit too. So I've been surrounded in cars. But yeah, for sure. That's is it's wild, man. Like you know what I'm saying? It, it's I, I have I'm still trying to figure out how to incorporate it into session and the therapy. Um, but it might be something that's I looking at it like into like more so something more community based. And so like, you know, cars and coffee or sneakers and coffee, cars like incorporate something like that, you know what I'm saying? Because it's just it's just a part of me, man. Um, and like you said, you grew up with it. You 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 stay true to it. I love. I I tell people like this: if the inside of my car is dirty, I don't feel good mentally. No, no, it's very reflective. It's yeah, very reflective. Very. I don't I don't like it. Like right yeah. now, my joint is dirty, and I like to st- like when I get in, I feel same like my same like with my haircut. Like mm-hmm. right, my my barber is out of town, and um, mentally, I'm just trying to cope right now. Yeah, because I'm not in uh, the best space uh, mentally. When I have a haircut, it's a sense of uh, for a black man. I know it's a sense of, and I see a lot of posts about it, and you know reels and things that this how you step out the barbershop and stuff like that. And that's how I feel when my whip is clean. 
and when I have a haircut. So those are very important things for me. And I know a lot of other black men out there. So, um, yeah, it, uh, yeah. So right now it's dirty right now. And I'm, and I'm starting the week out and I'm going to and going there tomorrow. And it's not terrible to be honest with you. It's just because the other seats are standard, <laughs> but I really want to like, I want to clean it. I like to see my armor all on the tires. Like, yeah, yeah I just like it. I just like it. You know what I'm saying? I like to start, start off the week like that. Yeah, no, nah, I, 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 I sent him that, and I could, I could point to a time period where I wasn't at my, probably I was, I think I got, I was thinking back a couple, a couple of weeks ago, like I was probably dealing with depression a lot, um, and I could see it in my cars because I, I kind of got out of cars. I was in an Altima, and I wasn't, I didn't feel like myself, and it, it just, you know, then my beamer went down, and so I was like all over discombobulated. I really wasn't cleaning my car like I should, like I used to. I used to clean my car every. Friday almost um back in the day like you know what I'm saying school undergrad whatever so you know it was reflective it was reflective and then um that thing things kind of switched and I started forcing myself out there to get out there clean and make sure it was hey if it's dirty inside take it to the get a get it vacuum out you know what I'm saying just getting back in that habit but you know I could tell because it it, it definitely was not the same type of car that I used to drive. You feel what I'm saying? Like my my cousins and them would make would joke on me about how dirty my car was uh, when prior to that it was always clean. So sure. it's it's interesting. But um yeah, man, that's one of the things I know we connect on and stuff like that. So man, um, but uh, as we go forward, getting to closing out, do you're from Queens and we gotta talk about top five favorite rappers before we get out of here. <laughs> All right, so not always i don't know if it's five uh you know biggie jay's up there uh-huh. i like uh jada kiss okay okay i don't know if i can do five though i i, I, I would stop it at three stop it at three okay biggie jay kiss we'll take that we'll take that <laughs> i was say you from queens you gotta have that 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 list up there, man. We all boys up in New York, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, so definitely, man. But yeah. Uh, so let me ask you this: as we get to get into our closing out period, man. You know, when we start talking about this field and this work that we do every day, you know, stuff like that in this series, I wanted to highlight people that you know what I'm saying, I have connections with and talk with about that. You know, identify with you know being more than their credentials. What makes you more than your credentials? Hmm, great question. So just going back to what I said, like, I feel like the training, what I've, uh, the L, the LCSW is a piece of it. That kind of helped me kind of solidify tools or learning appropriate ethic, like values and things that we have to do right as therapists. But I feel like what makes me more than my credentials is what the, the humanistic side of me, what I feel like my God-given um, characteristics and traits um, in terms of like the way I try to show up for people every day in my, in my personal life, you know, reliable, accountable, you know, listen, um, try to be a man of my word and stuff like that. And I feel like that makes me more than my credentials. Like people can feel the empathy in your more. Yeah. Uh, my, I would say my memories 
as I gotten older has gotten pretty poor because mm-hmm. I'm doing so much. But I can recall every every one of my clients' stories. Wow. Or when they tell me if they tell me about their cousin from Tennessee, I'm like, oh Pookie, right? Yeah. And that piece is more than your credentials. Mm. Okay. Because you can't get that. You can't. They don't. They don't teach you that. They don't that's innate. That. That's and that's super important because wow, you remember my story, right? Or they'd be like, damn, I forgot you remember so much because <laughs> right? I'm like they're like, dang, I forgot you remember so much. I'm like, but that's not what you told me. You yeah. told me that you was with such and such. So you ended up meeting with other dude. They'd be like, dang, you remember. <laughs> so it's you a good thing. Burn them up. <laughs> right. Absolutely. What would you say to some uh, black male, um, black man who's thinking about coming into this field, unsure about the the process, unsure about the payment scale? Because, you know, they always talk about we don't make no money in this field. Um what would you say to that that guy who is contemplating but not sure about going into this field? I want to say to them that there is avenues and there are ways. It's going to be difficult, right? It's not going to be easy. You really have to be thoughtful and intentional and really grind. But that comes with every territory. LeBron has to grind, right? Michael Jordan had to grind. So it just comes with the territory. It's not just going to come easy as if you're in medicine. You know, and I think people think that, I mean, you know, it's a different type of grind, but you're going to have to push um, and really be thoughtful, intentional about how you create um, your image and your brand and who you are marketing to. So it is doable. And there are folks like like Trey and myself that are willing to provide that support and encouragement. Um, so, you know, reach out to those and tap into the, the OGs of the game, as some of them people call us. And, uh, and and get that support and insight because each one teach one and we pray, you know, pave the way for each other. And that's how we do it. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Well, Aaron, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. We thank you for coming on for this series, man. This is the portion where I like to, to give the flowers to my guests. And I just wanted to let you know that, you know what I'm saying? I've always seen you as one of the OGs in the mental health game. Um, but just, you know, your presence, your um, humbleness and your gratitude and just your, your your approach to this work and what you've been doing in this space for the past couple of years has been inspiring. Um, it's definitely motivational. Um, and it's like I said, I consider you one of the OGs out here and just somebody that I look up to in reference to this field of mental health, field of social work and just in private practice as well, man. So I appreciate everything you have done and what you continue to do. Like I said, keep shining, my brother. I appreciate everything that you bring to the table. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, absolutely. So um, at the end of this piece, um, feel free to plug. This is your time to plug anything you want to plug, whatever you got coming up, whatever you want to do, plug it. It's your time. I appreciate it. Well, just tune into the Aaron Talks podcast. I'm going to start to be recording my mental health moments again and uh, tune into uh, on Instagram, the black underscore therapist, where I, you know, I drop a little knowledge here and there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Well, Aaron, it's Aaron. Mueller, LCSW out of Queens, New York, man. We appreciate you coming on. Everybody relax. For everybody that's been listening to this episode, we thank you. Hope that you got some gems from it. And, you know what I'm saying, feel free to reach out to one of us if you have any more conversation, you know, thoughts and conversations about getting into this space and getting to the field and what it looks like. We appreciate y'all. Talk to y'all soon. All right, peace.